Welcome to the Lola Community Podcast. In this podcast, we will have questions, quotes, and conversations between different people, and your host will be Pleasant Selecki. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, guys. It's Pleasant. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It's really such a blessing and such a wonderful part of um, our community and the work to be able to do this with you. If you love our podcast, I'd appreciate if you would share it with a friend, write a review, share on social, um, really helping us spread the messages and the wisdom and the teachings of our lovely, beautiful, authentic community. You can also support the podcast financially right here on the Anchor app or in iTunes, and you can leave me a voice message. I'd love to hear your voice. Chime in, give me a comment or a question. Send our guests um, a question. Send Sailor for her meditations a question or a comment or feedback. We love, love, love hearing from you. Thanks so much for all your support. And uh, Om Shanti, peace to you all. Okay, so hi, Roberta. Welcome hi. to the Lola Community Podcast. I'm sitting here with your book in my hands, Courage Reborn, Finding Peace and Purpose After Losing My Children. And I actually want to start, I want to read from page 12, um, 11 and 12 to get us started. So... <clears throat> I'm going to give a little bit of a, um, uh, just information to people who are listening that actually you could read it if you want to, Roberta. That would be so fun since you're the author. I was going to start with the in grief on page 11 and go to the end of page 12. Okay. So I'm going to, before you do that, um, I just want people to know that today we're going to talk and dive into Roberta's story, which is unbelievably beautiful and magical and heartbreaking and at times difficult to swallow and understand because Roberta's life um, has repeatedly brought uh, grief and death and sadness in a way that most mothers never want to think about. Is that fair? Yes. And... The purpose of um, having this conversation with this dear, incredible woman is that we can hold and lift and rise each other up. We can sit with stories of pain and healing. We can touch in our own lives, our own shadow and our own darkness. We don't have to be so afraid. And if you feel emotional, if you want to take a break and listen in parts, like all of that is welcome. But I invite you to be present with this beautiful story and this incredible woman. So with that, Roberta, will you start, will you read for us? Sure. From your book. In grief, we can choose to practice living with compassion, forgiveness, and love. I practice acknowledging the closeness of my daughters and remind myself that dwelling on the anger, sadness, and regret that we must move through only keeps me from feeling their presence in the way that I can now. I am open to deepening that relationship with them. I'm not going to lie. Some days I do it better than other days. Some days I really suck at it. Some days are hell. 
and grief has its own mind in spite of mine. And that's why grief is a practice and not one that I ever thought I was going to have to do. I let all the feelings wash over me when they come. Grief is not linear. Some days I'm back to day one. My daughters are gone from this world, but I am still here to live fully, to find my purpose, my new normal. Most people resist change. We like where we are, but losing a child shifts everything. Lisa's passing changed me. So as Suzanne would always say, mom's having another rebirth. So let us begin right here where we are. So tell us uh, your story and the story of the book. Sure. So, um, uh, well, um, I've lost two children and both in sudden ways, a sudden unexpected ways. Um, and, uh, I lost Lisa when she was almost 19 years old in a car accident in 2000. And then her older sister passed away about a year and a half ago. Uh, by suicide and um, she was almost 37 years old so you know it's unspeakable and um, I was had just it was almost exactly um, 17 years no let's see 17 years after Lisa died and uh, I was I was kind of starting to feel like I had was back to my old self and then boom um, Suzanne so I had to try and um, I knew that I would eventually feel better because I had experienced um, after the loss of Lisa, a gradual coming back to myself. Um, and so I knew that this was possible after the loss of Suzanne. And so knowing that, I just tried to be proactive in my grief. And one of the things that really helped me um, among many things was writing. And I wrote after Lisa died, I saved a journal from back then and only one journal, all the rest of them, all the other writings I, I let go, I wish I had saved. But I, with Suzanne, after the loss of Suzanne by suicide, it was a double challenge um, for, on so many levels. So I found that writing allowed me to process what was happening in the moment. And I just started writing everything. I, I wrote about what I was feeling. I wrote letters to Suzanne. Um, I just, whatever, whatever came out, I just allowed myself to write. And so, um, I, I have been an English teacher. I've always writ, written my whole life. And I, I always felt that there were books inside of me and I never let myself write the book. And then I was actually, uh, I was working with Pleasance and she said, well, maybe you could write the book about grief. I sat down and I wrote this list of, let's see what I know about grief. And that became the outline for the book. And then the book just kind of happened. It just flowed. And what I do in the book is I tell a little bit about what it was like after Lisa died and I bounce back and forth between the, the you know, the, from the time from 17, 18 years ago to the present. And it pretty much chronicles uh, the first year after Suzanne passed. And um, I, I put the book together like a series of topics um, to just kind of organize it for myself and organize my thoughts. But it is written with um, diary entries. There's some poetry in there. And there's some just, you know, reflecting on all of that. I wrote it like the way Pleasant said, listening to this podcast, I wrote it so that it would be easy to put it down, you know, and read it in segments and not feel like you were losing something because it's not chronological. Um, I wrote the book to help myself, to help people who were going through the process. 
and I shared everything. I shared what helped me. I shared things about relationships. Um, I, I shared about the process of grief, the actual everyday kinds of things that we encounter, such as small talk. You know, when people just say, hey, how are you? You have kids, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's such a challenge uh, when, you're, when you have these situations. How do you respond? What do you say? Do you lie? So I just put it all out there and put it in the book. And um, I'm hoping to get it to the people that need it most. And also, I also said for people who want to understand what it's like to be this person. And, you, you know, we all know people who've lost children and uh, we don't know what to say. I, I, I was always really bad at what to say, even just with, with any kind of loss. And I think I've gotten better at that. I'm not perfect at it. There's still this uncomfortability that we have with loss in our lives. But, um, you know, I, I, people want to understand what, what, go, what are we going through? So I hope that by writing the book and uh, getting it into the hands of people, that they will, it will help them to understand yeah. and not be so afraid of it. Do you feel like, so you talk a bit in the book, and I know this about you, that you have a very strong spiritual connection and to the girls now, so much so, right? And yes, absolutely. Feeling them. Um, do, what, did you always have that or was it, I'm, oh, I'm so curious about the connection to spirit um, without trauma or tragedy. Um, I find that so many of us, that's how we find our way to sort of awakening and simple, ordinary life pleasures. So can you talk about before Lisa died, um, what was your spiritual, you know, were you sort of running around in that race? You were living in New York at the time, right? Yeah. So talk a little bit about that and how this process of grief and death and loss has uh, strengthened or developed your spiritual practices? So um, I never considered myself spiritual at all. Uh, maybe I didn't really even know what being spiritual was. Yeah. Um, I wasn't connected to a religion. You know, mm -hmm. I had a religion, but I never really felt connected to it. Yeah. And, um, but I was very drawn to ancient mystical things, even as a young age. I was interested in Stonehenge. Um, I became fascinated with shaman. I, I don't know why. I can't say exactly why. Um, I was a teacher in uh, middle school. And uh, because of life circumstances, including the, an ending of my marriage, I, I began to rethink even that. And what came to me, uh, what I found was this Hawaiian massage work, which is an ancient spiritual massage that involves movement and since I love to dance and I loved ancient things and everybody was like oh this is so you so this work Lomi Lomi um, was really helpful to me as I was uh, moving through my divorce and it was already in place when um, when Lisa passed away and I had moved to New York at the time because I had left the teaching on Long Island and uh, was doing this it was like a spiritual practice which comes from the energy of aloha unconditional love and so in this work, I was able to project this. Um, and when you give it, you receive it. And after Lisa died, um, there would be sometimes when clients would come to me and I would be a mess. And, but because I had this work I would, and put the preparation for it, I was able to transcend. And by the end of the session, I felt better. And so there was, and the, because the work is a spiritual uh, massage, it's, it's, I'm moving from a kind of a meditation a moving meditation. And so there's a healing that happens for everyone. Prior to that, all of that, as I'm thinking about it now, 
was my connection to yoga, which actually happened when I was in college. Now, this was the early 70s, and yoga was not such a big deal. Everybody was, oh, yoga's woo-woo. But for some reason, the college I went to offered yoga as a um, uh, gym class. We had to take gym. So I took yoga, and I'm, I don't remember, like, enjoying the postures all that much, but I do remember when we got to the end, the shavasana, and the teacher would te walk us through this kind of gradual relaxation meditation and I just remember going to into some place there that was just like well what whatever you have to do to get to that I want to get to that so that connection with that you know that there's something else beyond just this world here um, I think it started perhaps you know many years ago with me in these little moments that all kind of you know started to put themselves together and then of course after after Lisa died I became obsessed with learning more about the afterlife and i just read every book that i could possibly read and continue to learn more and more about that did you ever have a period where you turned away from it um i asked that because i have a friend whose husband passed away and we went for a walk uh, he passed away suddenly and tragically and they were very much in love mm -hmm. and she said and she's a yoga teacher and uh, she, we went for a walk and she said, the first thing I did was take my yoga books and throw them out. Mm. It's bullshit. She just felt like it wasn't comforting. It was, it was false and a lie and all of this sort of positive and everything happens for a reason and all that. She couldn't find her way there. And so she really rejected it. Did you ever have that experience in your grief? Um, well, I mean, what I'm hearing with your friend is that she was angry. Um, yeah. I was angry too, but I didn't, I didn't take it out on any of that because yeah. I felt that this was something that always helped me. I mean, I took it out inappropriately at other people and, you know, I mean, anger just pops out. Uh, yeah. When you have these kinds of losses, you don't even realize it. I, I did something in the coffee shop recently where I yelled at some some college kid who was like talking above my head. And I was like, what, did, where did that come from? It's because there's this, you know, you, you're angry because this thing happened that you don't like that it happened. But I think I've always felt like people say, why me? Why me? And I, I always say, well, why not me? Yeah. You know? And, and also um, the process with after losing Lisa, where I somehow or other, and I just immediately felt that she was fine that she was okay where she was. And I don't even, can't even tell you where that came from, but I knew that she was okay where she was and that she was, you know, well taken care of. Um, and after Suzanne died by suicide, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't so sure, mm. but uh, because suicide is just very, very complicated. There's just so many questions. Um, but I felt that at some point I would get to the same place that I had gotten to with Lisa, whatever that took. Yeah. Are you finding your way there? I mean, uh, Suzanne's death is still very recent. It in is. In terms of the healing process. So. Absolutely, yeah. So, so it is. And, uh, you know, yeah, like I said, there's day, there are days where yeah. sometimes it's, it's, you know, like I'm okay. And yeah. then there are days where I'm like, I just need to regroup. I just need to, you know, quiet down. I need to just allow myself to just feel what I'm feeling. Um. It sounds to me also like you have a really strong self-compassion practice. Um, and the reason I say that too is because I know you-ish, right? Like a, <laughs> yes. we've been in relationship for a while. And it's amazing how I've just noticed that in you, this sense of 
integrity and humility, but compassion for the experience. So can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I think, you know, again, to be kind of brutally honest, um, the suicide aspect for a mother and a child, because so many of our, of our children, how we treat them is like versions of us and our success. And I'm not saying this is what you did. I'm saying this is kind of societal norms, especially in these big cities where we build up children to, for their resumes and their growth. And look, I'm so successful because my kid's a doctor, which again is not true uh, in soul identity and self-identity. But can you talk a little bit about your compassion practice and releasing the outcomes of your children's destiny for your own, how you don't um, hold on to that as your own success in the world? Oh. So I don't know that, um, that I ever really did that yeah. with my kids. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I had become a single parent when they were pretty young. And there, you know, with the going through the divorce and that experience, I got a, a totally different, different perspective on um, timeframes that we have for our children and just started to really take a look at what was important in life. Um, so as far as that, I don't think I have that, but I do, there are mo the things that I, when I get sad, I think about like, I won't see grandchildren, you know, I won't have that, you know, that family, you know, being there for me, you know, as I get older. Um, so those kinds of things. But it, 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 for me, it never came down to like, you know, having identification through them in, in success. And it, I have to say, both my daughters were extremely successful in their lives in many ways. Lisa was just starting college, but, you know, she was just the most amazing, um, kind and generous uh, individual that to me was a huge success and and Suzanne and she had so many goals for herself that she had accomplished and she was also a, a success but you know she struggled she struggled with the disease of addictions and so it got the better of her and had for a while yes yeah yeah um, so talk about the compassion aspect self-compassion and where how that kind of has developed yeah, it's hard because um, I didn't feel, after Lisa died, it was, I didn't feel any guilt because Lisa and I had a very different relationship than I had with Suzanne. There wasn't anything that was unfinished business, mm -hmm. shall we say. Mm -hmm. And But with Suzanne, um, she had relapsed three years before her passing. And so there was some distance that had been created between us. And because the road was rockier, with addiction where she had, where she, when she was using and then relapsing. And so there was a lot of complicated things that were involved in, in that relationship. We had come to an amazing place, but when she relapsed and then of course she moved out of the area, she moved twice actually. Um, so it was hard to be as close and to just, you know, follow up with her um, to see what was happening with her. And so there was a lot of, um, feelings of guilt and sh I should have done this. And, and I think that a, a lot of people that knew her, her close friends and all, we all kind of felt the same thing. And I can go there and that gets me down. And I find that if I, I want to have a relationship with my children in the way I can, which is the ener energetically spiritual now. And if I focus too much on what I could have done, I obviously 
I'm also kind of a practical person, strangely. And it's like, if I could go back and change things, I would, but you know what? I can't. And so I could bring myself down into the rabbit hole, you know, down there. I can stay down there. I can stay in my bed with the covers over my head, or I can get up. I can move. I can do things that they love to do, and I can share my life with them. You know, I can get my toes painted purple for Lisa and my fingernails painted pink for Suzanne and they're now in my life and I look at my nails and I think they like that color and so I do that instead you know like I say some days are better than others you know and it's it's a it's a daily practice but um I have to say that I did the best that I could yeah you know and if I if I knew something different to do at the time I would have um done better you know, I recently saw um, A Star is Born, and uh, my family and friends had been telling me, don't go see it because of the, you know, the alcoholism and the drug use and the suicide. And they were protecting me and protecting me. And the thing is, I, I'm really glad that I saw it. I just saw it recently. I saw it with the extra 12 minutes, whatever. I don't know what they were. The extra <laughs> they were in there. And uh, I thought, you know what, this is a really good depiction of what it's like to love somebody who is... Uh, struggling with addiction because you're in it you love them you don't know what to do necessarily to make it right yeah. but yet you love them so there's all kinds of things that happen and I thought it was really and also the anger that was shown afterwards I thought that was very real you know so like your friend who got rid of the books that was kind of that moment for her you know um and you know we have those moments you know um I actually just started, uh, joined a, you don't know this, but I just joined a, um, a drum and, uh, and movement group. It's a Brazilian performance group. And they gave me the biggest drum. So I get to bang the drum. Yes. You want to get like anger out and I get the vibrations through my body and I'm moving and it's a workout and I'm exhausted afterwards, if, but it's like amazing, you know? I love that. If I can get the anger out through dancing, yeah, I'll choose it. I you know, it. if it's there for me. Yeah. Hold on, we have a we have a pause. Real life. Okay. Yes, Mister. I see the child. My school's <laughs> quick, baby. What do you need, sweetheart? Excuse me. Yes. Goodbye. Yes. Close the door. He said, "Can I have ice cream?" <laughs> oh. And I said, He's "Yes." So cute. Um, okay, I want to know, how do you talk to the girls? You just mentioned this and what you said, too, was how do you talk to them? How do they show up? You talked about your nails and your fingernail, the, po the polish color. But what are the other daily uh, practices that you have that bring them into your life that keep that relationship going? Well, the thing is, how you say, how do you talk to them? It's like, how do you not talk to them? You don't, there's like not a day that goes by that where I'm, they're not in my life in some way. Yeah. There's a memory. I mean, Su Suzanne lived in Philadelphia. I'm in Philadelphia. So every time I, she loved Wawa. Every time I walk past a Wawa, if you don't know what that is, that's like a 7-Eleven. It? It's the best. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, it's like the 7-Eleven of Philadelphia. And she loved Wawa. So, I mean, there's Wawa. She's just, there's constant reminders of her. And I'll, I'm always, you know, in conversation with her. I don't know that there's anything that I say that I do regularly every day. Yeah. Um, but and, you know, or I might write her a letter, you know, like I haven't written you in a while. Let me write you a letter or um, the same thing with Lisa. I write her a letter. You know, it's, it's like um, you, there's like they each get their separate time because it's impossible to, to do it together. You know, the grieving of two people. That was like, how am I, I, how am I even going to do that? Yeah. You know, 
And uh, David Kessler, who is a grief expert, I had gone to his seminar last um, summer, and uh, he was the one, he told the story of a woman who had lost, I think it was five or six kids in this horrific car accident. And he was, how do you do that? And he's, well, Monday is for this child and Tuesday is for this child because you have to separate it because the brain cannot actually even process more than one grief at a time. And so, and that's kind of what I do. You're like, this is Lisa's thing. And Lisa loved to dance, you know, and I do these dance programs in her honor. That's how they started. And, uh, you know, Suzanne, you know, she liked to climb mountains. I won't be doing that, but um, <laughs> I can get close to the mountains, you know, so there's those kinds of things. So I do things in their honor. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, then there's just, like I said, the little things with the, the nail polish or like, you know, I'm in the, a place and I hear a song. Like I just the other day, I heard Suzanne's um, karaoke song, Buttercup you know, build me up buttercup. And it was like, oh, hi, Suzanne. You know, it's just like a moment, like they say hello to me, like they come. I have the dreams, um, dreams, dreams slash visits, you know, um, that have been really powerful and strong that come to me. That's what I was going to ask, I think, also is kind of, is there a certain symbol? I know a lot of times in, in spirituality, they say, once you sort of identify, like, my dad is a butterfly, then the butterflies always are coming around and looking for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lisa, you know, um, the story with Lisa is that I was sitting, I was living in New York at the time, sitting at the, uh, the river at Callshares Park, which is in my neighborhood at Yorkville, which is kind of beyond the Upper East Side and before East Harlem. And a dragonfly came to came and landed on me. And then I went back to my apartment and was greeted by the two police officers who told me about the accident. And I had forgotten about the dragonfly. And then about three months later, I remembered the dragonfly. And then I looked it up. And then I saw that in some native um, legends, it's connected to the soul of the departed. And then I started seeing the dragonflies everywhere. So Lisa became the dragonfly. And I do, I get all kinds of dragonfly signs. And sometimes I'll be like, oh, well, that's not enough. And then I'll get another one, you know, like it'll be like a dragonfly, you know, hanging on a door. And then there'll be somebody with a dragonfly t-shirt or a dragonfly pin. And it's always like, hi, Lisa, every time I see it is that. And with Suzanne, I'm, I'm, I had some, some different signs. I was seeing numbers. I was seeing like rows of numbers, like three fours or three ones. And her birthday happens to be um, 11, 10. So that's three ones in a row. So that those three ones became like a thing. Um, and then I thought, you know, that I had been in Mexico and seen a gecko, except I found out afterwards that it wasn't a gecko. It was a baby iguana that I, that kind of had a little relationship with me. So it's possibly an iguana for Suzanne. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. I love the, like, looking for it, though. It's part of the way that we stay connected and sort of this line that I think about all the time, which is, like, it's possible, right? Like, it's possible, possible to... Sorry. That's okay. Yep. Okay. So just about that sort of idea that it's possible that these are the ways that our loved ones are talking to us. It's possible that there are other realms. I think I just want to point that out because a lot of women who listen to this and who are in our community, you know, work on Capitol Hill or have very lawyer type jobs and don't get a chance to really uh, talk to spirits often <laughs> mm -hmm. or guides. And so I'm just sharing your perspective as a way for us to again say like it's possible you know like let me see what happens when i look for this let me see what happens when i set the intention to connect with the people that i love who are not here anymore and then 
I think underneath that, the really important thing is how does that make you feel? Yeah, and the thing is that I think sometimes we have to get really quiet for it to happen. Yeah. Because we have this tendency in our lives to be so busy. We have people around us. We have jobs that we have to do. As soon as we walk in, the TV is on. And and so, you know, it's these moments sometimes. And I I found I would get so many... of these signs when I would think I was most alone. For example, like if I was traveling by myself and I'm in an airport mm-hmm. and here I am, I'm by myself and I'm eating and then I look up and then there's the dragonfly on the t-shirt or on the pen mm-hmm. or whatever. Like you just take the moment, you know, in these moments of space, right. kind of like the space between the breaths mm-hmm. where you get to see some of these things. Yeah. And have that feeling of connection. That's, that's also the piece. that feeling of love, that feeling of connection and consciousness, that feeling of like all is well, right? That yeah. it's that, it's that feeling of that, that can happen when there's space for it. Um, can you talk a little bit about grief comparison? So yeah. I'm curious about this because in one of our groups, I recently heard someone say like, well, mine isn't that bad because it could be worse. And then sort of like identifying someone else as, well, at least like my kid didn't die, right? Like as a worse. So can you talk a little bit about how you see the comparison and what's... So I think that um, I, I did, I actually did a little bit of that comparison. I'd gone to a support group after Lisa died called Compassionate Friends, which is for parents and siblings. Mm-hmm. And that was in New York City. And, I, and the first time I went there and everybody had to say how their child died. And I, after listening to some of the horrific stories of murder and suicide and you know, one person losing two children, and I was starting to feel really lucky. I was like, my daughter only died in a car accident. Everything was fine. She was perfectly healthy. She told me she loved me right before she died. I was feeling like strangely lucky but the truth is there's no good way to lose a child but then there are people that say to me oh well I just lost my mother you lost a child I mean I don't know what that's like and I I you know for a year for a while I I kind of bought into that like like the child is the worst kind of loss but then you know as I've gotten older I've I've experienced and I've worked with people that have had all kinds of grief and you know when I had gone to the David Kessler workshop he's a grief expert He's the one that he's lost a child. He's lost a mother. He's like, there's no hierarchy. He's like, what's the worst grief that there is? And his answer is the one you're experiencing right now. And that just made so much sense to me because grief is grief. Loss is loss, you know? And um, I mean, my mom is still here. She's 90 years old, but I'll tell you something. She's the longest relationship I have. I can't imagine that not being grief, you know? It's bad. Grief is just, it's difficult, no matter what it is. Loss of a pet. I mean, that's, you know, unconditional love. I mean, who gets that kind of pure love? I mean, that is, people like, oh, it's just my dog, or, you know, it's just a dog. People like, what are they upset for? It's just a dog. But the truth is, it's, it's, it's a loss. It's a big loss. Yeah. I just want us to, as a collective, like, society, acknowledge that, 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 our bodies and how we process it and how we experience grief with love as my dog starts to bark. Um, (laughs) He's talking now. He's like, you're talking about me. Um, That that it's, it's not 
a compare and contrast. It's not a competition that we can honor and sit with. Cause I think that it's one of the things that keeps us separate with grief is one of the ways that we sort of don't know what to say to someone is because we feel like we haven't experienced that. And I just want to open the conversation to say, part of being human is experiencing death and grief and loss and the situation, the unique circumstance is different, but the feeling is the same, you know, um, in the human experience. And I think if we don't do that, we can fall into spiritual bypass. It's another way that we bypass. I think what also happens as far as people being uncomfortable is when I tell people I've lost a child, and especially people who have children, they start to think about what they would feel like if they lost their ch- child and they're just in such a horrific place in their mind that they can't, they can't even say words, you know? So I usually just say to people, I say, don't even go there. Mm-hmm. Don't even, because right. Yeah, right. you don't want to, and you don't know exactly how you would feel, in the moment, you know? Well, it's that same, like your experience is just a mirror or reflecting what could happen in my experience. Mm-hmm. And that happens in everything, right? Like very simple, a very like daily is that when I have shared about not drinking, other, some people are like, whoa, because it's triggering, like, it's in just that's a right. new mind, like, whoa, does that mean I'm drinking too much? You know, and that's not what sure. I'm going to share. Because we all think about ourselves of first. Of course. That's, that's just normal. normal. That's thing. how we are. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So to close, I want you to think about, um, someone's listening to this and they're, they have someone that they love who is grieving. Um, what would you say to them? How can they... Uh, communicate and share with their loved ones who are grieving. I think what I tend to see is a pull away rather than a turn towards. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That's just how I've seen um, a lot of people in my life say, well, I can't deal with that. So I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to give them space. That's what I hear a lot. I'm going to give them space. Can you talk a little bit about what, what are some things that people could do for people they love when they are grieving? Sure. Um, so uh, I want to say that after Lisa died, um, there were some people that called me and it, I was just angry and I would be like, why are they calling me? And then there were some people who didn't call me and they'd be like, why aren't they calling me? And the yeah. thing is, it's a no-win situation. But you, in the end, what I remember is those people who did call. I don't remember what they said or the people who sent a card you know, just to let me know that they were thinking about me. So I think the main thing is, you know, tell the person you're there for them and you want to listen. You don't even have to say anything because the truth is, and the other thing is tell them, I will always say your child's name or I will always say that person's name because a lot of people don't want to say the name. They think, oh gosh, if they say our child's name, uh, then, you know, they're going to remind me of my child. Like what? I forgot about my child or something. No, we don't want our our loved ones to go away. Mm-hmm. So we say the names because we want to keep them alive. We want to talk about them. When, So if they're talking about, let's say, their child, let me talk about my child too, even though they're not here. I can still say what Suzanne liked, what Lisa liked, you know, their favorite colors, their favorite foods. I can say all those things, their favorite music. Uh, so I can be part of the conversation. So we'll allow that without you know, worrying about it, you know, it's just, we want to talk. So listening and um, saying the name and don't be afraid to, you know, either make a phone call, send a text, send a card, just saying, I love you. I'm thinking of you. It's very simple. You don't have to have answers. There are no answers. You're not going to fix it. Yeah. 
Oh, this, that, I just, that brings up such a good point of this fixing culture and this, when someone states a discomfort, we have a tendency, especially as big hearted women, service women to go in and fix it and make it better. Absolutely. And part of what I'm really encouraging us all to do is listen to our stories and have that witness without fixing. Like Roberta's story does not mean Roberta's broken or we need to fix her. And one of the ways that I've been doing this and experimenting with this is posting things on social media, especially on Facebook, about my lived experience that is uncomfortable. And then at the end saying, please don't reply with advice. I'm not asking you to fix it. I just want a space to share this. Mm -hmm. And it's, I just noticed in groups and online this, this desire to either turn away from and ignore or leave people when they're hurting or to go in and just try to do things and be very busy or fix it. Because it, for me, that's just an expression of, I can't sit with my own discomfort. Right? Like this is how we evolve into that integration. How comfortable am I with my own sort of paradoxes that I experience? And the more that I can sit with them and acknowledge them, it's easier for me to sit with it with other people. Yeah. You know, so I encourage people to have that perspective of I don't need to fix you or heal you, but I can love you and, and hold you and hear you. Yeah, and the other thing that I would say is not to take things personally, like invite your friends to do things, but if they say no, don't take it personally, because sometimes it's just hard to get out of the house, and sometimes you don't want to do the, you know, deal with small talk with people that, you, you know, you have to explain everything to, so I would say invite people, and if they say no, let, you know, don't, don't take it personally, keep inviting them, eventually they'll say yes. <laughs> Or not. It could be that moment where you feel comfortable to, you know, go out and do that thing. Or, you know, it's just, it's, it's a daily struggle as far as how you feel on each day. And, I, and that's not only with grief and loss. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it could just be the human experience. Absolutely. It's a daily struggle. Um, okay, Roberta, where can people find the book? Where can they find more about your workshops that you'll be offering and any speaking that you'll be doing? Sure. So the book um, Courage Reborn is uh, available on Amazon in uh, ebook form and paperback form. Mm -hmm. And my website is dragonflyhealingarts.com. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And that has more information about everything that I'll be doing. And I'm going to link your website there. Um, and we just ask, I mean, Roberta and I wanted to have this conversation also to just encourage people to share Roberta's book and writing and even this conversation with people who might be going through grief and loss. But again, because it's actually part of our common human experience, we just really believe that it's um, appropriate for everybody, you know? Um, so I just want to close by saying... I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time and the energy. There were some things that you had to work through, some challenges that you've never done before in order to get the book in the world. And so I wanna celebrate and honor the work that you do 
the writing, the sharing, and the, the putting it together to be in the world to help others. Because it is no, it is not easy to learn new things and layer it with your stories and your experiences and go back through some of that pain and that emotional um, experience, you know? So, okay, thank you. So that's, nope. So that's, sorry, we've had many interruptions by the little one. Um, but I really do, I mean that so heartfelt is like, I know what it takes to get this in the world, not only from the challenges of the technology and working with Amazon and going through that, but there is this emotional layer of these stories. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and allowing me to do this and for all the help that you gave me as I was writing the book. My pleasure. Um, may you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. And may you live with ease. Thanks, Roberta. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.